Hi, I'm Dr. Wajita Small, Purpose Alignment Coach and host of Leading with Purpose, a podcast for career and entrepreneur women of color on the rise into positions of leadership and influence in their organizations and industries. I'm a devoted wife, daughter, sister, friend, and mentor. I'm a leadership scholar by education, a human resources executive by profession, entrepreneur by choice, and an author by calling. I love life and I love living and working in my purpose, which is to be a resource and advocate for the often unheard, overlooked, and underestimated. I'm excited to share my knowledge with you and hope to provide you with the tools to turn your purpose into practice and your practice into success. Welcome and thank you for joining me. Well, hello. And welcome back to the Leading with Purpose podcast. On this episode, we will be talking about self-advocacy. And this is an extra special episode because today we have an extra special guest, Mrs. Nicole Thick. Hi, Nicole. And welcome and thank you for joining me. Um, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. So I want to tell you all a little about Nicole before we get started. So Nicole is a public health professional, educator, and civic leader who has spent the last 15 years providing tools and strategies to stakeholders, community-based organizations, students, and residents to improve health and prevent disease in some of Los Angeles County's most underserved communities. Her commitment to community has led to a number of prestigious appointments. She serves on the boards of three public health and social service organizations for two years, and I'm sorry, and for two years chaired the newest commission for the city of Los Angeles. Nicole earned both her bachelor's degree in public policy and management and master's of public health degrees from the University of Southern California, a university she has spent most, she spent her childhood years living less than five minutes away from, yet felt beyond reach of a young girl from South Central LA. In her first book, pushing through, finding the light in every lesson. She shares both the heartbreaking pain and extraordinary triumphs that led her to advocacy and social justice work. Her story takes place against the background of the long neglected and overlooked community of South Central LA, where she grapples with the grotesque imbalances of power and privilege as it unfolds in every aspect of her life and those around her. I am so excited to have you host with me today. Welcome, Nicole. Hello, everyone. Hi, Dr. Small. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to have this conversation because I think it's a conversation that has not been had, especially um, among Black women. Mm-hmm. You know? wholeheartedly agree. Um, So where do you want to start today? Um, Because self-advocacy is a very large topic uh, with an importance that's even greater. And, you know, self-advocacy is something that for many of us Black women, as you mentioned, um, it's challenging. Very. What do we do? Very. That's the biggest, that's the like $10 million question. What do we do? You know, I think one of the things that um, I see a lot is we as Black women have this interesting, um, 
responsibility to bear a lot of burden in the workplace, right? So there's the microaggressions that we experience at work. Um, we have to code switch a lot, right? We have to kind of step outside of ourselves um, at work. And then the last thing I think all of us have, have experienced recently is there's a whole host of things happening outside of the workplace that impact black people. And then when you get into the workspace, like nobody's talking about it and you're kind of sitting, you know, in your workspace, like why is nobody talking about this? And I think that can be very um, stressful to kind of manage all of that and still do your day job. Um, and one of the main catalysts for me writing my book was an experience that I had at work, sitting in a training, about racial equity. So I work in public health. And so we talk about populations. We talk about things like racism a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting in this training with about a hundred other people. And all of a sudden this slide pops up on the screen and it says something like blacks fare worse in every single system in society. And it talks about the disparities in um, our representation in um, uh, the criminal justice system, mm -hmm. and how we have so many homeless people that are black. And I saw this yesterday driving down the street, all the homeless people that I saw were black men. And I'm like, wow, sitting in that meeting, really kind of being forced to deal with the very two different sides of me, my professional public health side that, yes, understands that at an academic level, but mm -hmm. then that very personal side, that the side of me that is a black woman that lives in South Central LA and feels like you're talking about me. You're not talking, this is not abstract for me. This is yeah. reality. Yeah, so it's like a weird duality, right? So, I want you to tell us a bit more. So you kind of went through this experience, you know, they were saying all of these things about black people. There were a couple of things that you mentioned that kind of clicked for you. So they clicked and then what happened? <sighs> they clicked and then I really, like I said, immediately felt like I need to tell my story. Well, the first thing I did was what most of us do. We go back to our desk and we send that email to our friends and colleagues that we know, like, girl, did you, did yeah. you hear what happened? Were you in that training? <laughs> That's the first thing I did. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so I do have the, the benefit of having some colleagues at work that I respect and trust that understand the struggle, understand our experience. And so I, that email went out right away. And one of my good colleagues, responded really and said something that really stuck with me. And she said, the problem is when they see numbers, when they see the stats and the data, we see faces. And I was like, what in the yes. world? That was the most poignant thing that I've ever heard somebody say about yes. that. And again, that was the catalyst for getting my book written um, because I wanted to talk about my life experience layered over some of the public health concepts that I see every day at work. It, it was, it was amazing. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of your life experiences and where you saw the overlap and how you became, well, an advocate for yourself and then following an advocate for the rest of us. Well, I think one of the most um, interesting experiences I've had just in the work, work field when I started to work in public health, I was stationed in South Los Angeles and I had 
a geographic area that included South Los Angeles and West Los Angeles. So for those of you that are not from Los Angeles, South Los Angeles is Watts, Compton. You guys have heard about those places on all the rap videos. Yeah. You guys know what, what those areas are. And then the West side of LA is Santa Monica, right? Beverly Hills, high income. And so I started to drive through these communities and I'm like, how come my neighborhood has a million liquor stores? But when you hit Malibu, mm -hmm. you don't see that. You don't see all of those types of things. You see all these grocery stores, you see all these wonderful parks and things. And that disparity really started to make me wonder why are these things happening? Are these things accidental? Are they on or are they on purpose? Mm -hmm. That's one experience. Other things that have happened in my life. I was a teen mom. So when we talk about in my work, field of work, things like African-American uh, infant and maternal mortality or teen pregnancy. Um, again, those are not just data, uh, numbers, statistics. You're talking to someone that experienced a situation where I had a daughter at 18 who was born eight weeks early and weighed three pounds, 11 wow. ounces. She could very well have been an, a statistic, an infant mortality statistic. She's 23 yeah. now. She's fine. But we could have been having a very different conversation. Yeah. So. I think there's two sides to it. My life experience is a public health story played out in real time. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, that is what drew me to work in public health, right? It's sort of this yeah. weird um, dynamic. So I want to shift a little. And, um, and we talked about your experience um, during this training in the workplace. So I want to shift a little um, into the workplace and this concept of advoc advocacy and specifically self-advocacy um, for us as Black women. I want to first ask, in your opinion, why do you think that's a challenge for us? Um, the second part being, how do we how do we move through that challenge and start to advocate for ourselves, understanding that even, even in a workplace, we, we can become a statistic? Absolutely. Those are great questions. I think one of the biggest reasons why Black women have the hardest time sort of pushing for change in the workplace, first of all, I don't, I don't know why, but I feel like we often have the burden of being the ones that push for change. I don't know. Maybe it's because I see it more often, but we're the ones always trying to speak up. Like, that's not right. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't do it this way. And I'm like, why are we always the ones that have to bear that burden? Um, one of the things is definitely if we if we if we are a little too um, um, bubbly or or forward, I will say that's the uh -huh. word forward with our opinions. We're automatically the angry black woman. Oh, calm down, calm down. We're not. I'm not upset. I'm just trying to tell <laughs> exactly. you exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'm not upset. <laughs> I want to go back to what you said about us being the ones that are the ones that mostly speak up. And so in, you know, my role is in human resources. And when I think about everything that's happening kind of now, and even, even before what I realized, uh, the, the employees that said we need to change before all of these organizations started saying we need to change or, you know, everyone, you know, had this epiphany that black people aren't treated well in the workplace. Um, 
it was the black women that came to me and said, you know, this is what we need. And one particular, I want to say, when I first began at the organization that I'm with now, a black woman came to me and said, you know, we need something like a black student union here. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you mean? And, you know, she explained it to me and it was just kind of like, okay. And literally weeks later, a completely different black woman was like, we really need to have a space for us to be able to just communicate with each other, share our experiences, you know, in the workplace. And I'm happy that they felt comfortable coming to me, but it's like, they felt comfortable coming to me because I'm a black woman and they knew or expected to some extent that I would understand. And me in my role, but also having had experiences, realized this is something we need. So I spoke up about it. I said, you know, several employees have come to me. I firmly believe this is something that we need to happen. And, you know, I kind of got, well, the why, and then, well, I'm not sure this is the right time. And it's kind of like, how is now not the right time for you to care about your employees' well-being? You know, there's, there's clearly a need and I'm very much a numbers person. So when I went, I came with all of, I came with all of the statistics, I came with all of the data to support it and, um, it didn't happen. And recently, again, being the advocate, I came with it again. And again, because of these epiphanies that people are now having, it was kind of like, you're absolutely, I mean, you're absolutely right. I was right the first time (laughs) that I came to you with it. Um, But, you know, just that, that resonated with me because anytime that anyone has come to me to really express the desire for a change, regardless, it literally, regardless of whether it personally impacted that individual, it literally was, the black women. And to be quite honest, there's all of, but like none of us there in the, in the workplace, in the first place, the numbers are, you know, so small and we tend to take on that burden. And these particular women advocated for it because they saw the challenges of other people not themselves. So taking it back to the self-advocacy, they weren't advocating for themselves. They were advocating for other people that they felt that they needed. And to be quite honest, I did the same thing. I advocated for other people versus advocating for myself to say, well, you know what? These have actually been my experiences, you know, as, as well. And here's why I think I need something like this. Why, why do we, in your opinion, why do we do that? I think it's a, it's a way that we are socialized. We are socialized as Black women to care about everyone else, to really be concerned about what other people are doing and, and making sure that they're okay. I don't know if, if that's just something it comes out at the womb, at birth, we're born with, but I really feel like we just sort of have that. And because we have that in the workplace, it, it, we are looking and caring and making sure and want everyone to have um 
the resources they need. And, and it's funny that you're talking about in your workplace that women came up to you asking for that. We also got that same um, ask. Um, th- there was some conversation around, we should have a group. And we ended up just kind of doing it on our own. Mm-hmm. We found an ally um, in one of the offices. Actually, she was one of my former supervisors. And we started to have these small little lunchtime sessions where we would just invite people to come and talk. But the problem, you know, and I'm sure maybe this comes up for you in your in, in your particular example the funding like well we need to pay for the food or we want to make sure that the food is paid for so people don't have to worry about that kind of thing and how do we carve out time so yeah it's, it's a really interesting thing but the, to answer your question I think we just have um, in our bodies our in our genes this want to make sure that everyone else is okay. And that's why we often are the ones that speak up first. Um, and then I think there's also that layer of, I'm not afraid. I'm just going to have to, I'm, I'm going to have to put this out here mm-hmm. and say what I, what I think is right and let the chips fall where they're made. So there's that, that, that black girl magic too. Like, I'm just going to yeah. say it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and put to get this conversation started. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that we've become, I'll say less afraid out of a necessity. And, you know, it's interesting that you said, you know, where does this come from? Does it, you know, or is it, does it come straight out of the womb and that we are socialized um, to do this? And in another episode, I talk about kind of like the, the superwoman schema, right? And how we are literally just to your point, socialize to just take on everybody's burden. And I wholeheartedly agree. I think we are magical people, magical beings. We can handle so much more, one than we think we can, um, and more than most people. But the question is whether or not we should. Um, yes. And that's the that's the internal battle because I also think that we're in inherent nurturers mm-hmm. um, so it's just kind of instinctive and even if you think of just kind of again cultural and ancestral and you know where we're come where we come from it being matriarchal um, that that's just kind of inherent that you know we it's just natural for us to take care of others as leaders in our, you know, communities, but I guess, do we take it too far? Because at the end of the day, we become so busy taking care of other people and advocating for other people, we we neglect ourselves. Um, and that neglect has some very severe implications on our health. So, Can you talk about that a little, specifically kind of the, you know, mental and physical and emotional health impacts of this not self-advocating and and, and in our workspaces, but even when we think about, you know, our health, just self-advocating when we're, you know, going to the doctor and stuff like that. That that is that is a big question, and it's so much to share because it's it's it can go I can go in so many different directions, um, but, but we all know the impact of stress on our on on the human body, right? So if you are 
constantly under a state of stress all the time, stress because of work, stress because you're the one that always speaks up in the office and, you know, or stress in the home, um, your body starts to wear down and it kind of makes you more likely to have things like high blood pressure and diabetes. So that stress level, just the stress of being a black woman in America is enough um, to cause us to be, uh, have hypertension and heart disease. So add on to the workplace stuff, the family stuff, um, you know, worried about your kids. Are your kids going to be safe when you send them outside to go to school? Mm -hmm. You know, all of that stuff really just weighs on our bodies and wears us down. Um, And it does play out, again, high blood pressure, uh, diabetes, heart disease. It plays out with this whole issue I talked about earlier with African-American infant and maternal mortality. You know, just that stress can wear on our bodies and impact our ability to have a safe delivery um, and make it out. You know, there was a woman that recently just died. I think she was in her 20s. She was pregnant and she had a heart attack. I think they said she ended up having a massive heart attack. She was in her 20s. So she passed away and her baby passed away. Mm -hmm. The stress. Um, One of the things you just talked about as well is this implicit bias with our physicians. We go to the doctor um, and we may say, I don't feel good. Something isn't right. And we may be dismissed. Oh, it's nothing. Just go take a go home and take a Tylenol. Oh, you'll be okay. And then we've heard so many stories where no, it wasn't just that. It was something more serious. I mean, mm-hmm. when our, our world-famous tennis player could almost die in childbirth because she wasn't believed when she went back to the doctor yeah. and said something's wrong. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of layers um, of, for all of this. Mm-hmm. All right. So I want to ask some relatively pointed questions, and I want to kind of take it back a little to the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we, as Black women, um, find other Black women or other people to engage with to kind of help us move out of a space where we don't speak up. So we talked a little about like the group that was created in your organization, um, my advocacy for an employee resource group. I think part of this kind of, I can do it myself prevents us from seeking help. And I think seeking in my opinion, seeking help from other people is a way for us to self-advocate. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I have been fortunate in my work experience to be mentored and, um, you know, work with wonderful Black women in leadership positions. Like, I first came into my work in public health and my supervisor was a uh, in her 60s and a vegetarian and she ran marathons and Um, was a a nurse. Mm -hmm. And and soon after that, a physician, Black woman physician that mentored and guided me. And so 
sometimes that doesn't happen in every workplace, right? You get to a workspace, maybe there is there is no, you know, supervisor that actually is a black woman that you can kind of, you know, say, can you please mentor me? Sometimes that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really important, as you said, that you have to, you have to look for um, those colleagues and those allies um, that you can talk to. And it's really, it's, it, it can be hard to find, but I think when you find it, you know, you know if that person is the person for you, right? Based on sort of how they present themselves, how they talk, what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and it's really easy to f- figure out mm, that person probably isn't the person, but this person over here, this is the person I can speak to. Um, and sometimes it is important to sort of create those formal groups. Like, as you said, the colleagues wanted a formal yeah. group, but sometimes you have to go, go rogue and do your own thing and create yeah. your own system. Yes. Um, you mentioned allies. I think, and from my experience, another challenge that we have is, I'll say there's like an inherent distrust of people that don't look like us because they can't possibly understand what it is that we're going through, what our challenges are. And I can, I can understand that, but part of self-advocacy is identifying and knowing what resources are available to you. And sometimes don't, those resources don't look like you. Um, how do we get away from they can't possibly help me to this person might actually be a resource for me to get the help that I need? That's a good question because you're right. I mean, they don't understand because they don't have the lived experience, but mm-hmm. daggone it, if they got a direct line to the boss that you don't have and they're willing to help you do that, yeah, you better have a conversation with that person. Yeah. So sometimes it's not about them understanding. You know, they need to understand to a certain extent, right? They yeah. need to get the concept or the the big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more important that if they have that connection and are willing to go to bat for you, mm-hmm. that's more important. And I think you know you do need to find those people in the office, figure out who that is, and that oftentimes is just keeping your eyes and ears open. Mm-hmm. Uh, paying attention to the conversations and the connections that people have, sometimes not the formal connections and relationships with the informal mm-hmm. ones. Who's going to lunch with who, right? Um, and just, you know, sit back and watch, pay attention. And if you can tell that that person has some leverage, then that's who you talk to. And again, they don't have to have your lived experience. They need to understand it to a certain extent and respect it. But yeah. if they're willing to say, well, you know what, I'll talk to her about it. That's sometimes that's all you need mm-hmm. um, to get something going, to get a seed planted. Okay. So I want to, as I think about this a little more, and I think part of our challenge is how we believe people perceive us, right? And um, <laughs> a few episodes ago, Um, I focused on the realities of perception and the impact that it has on us. In particular, the false perceptions of us as Black women. And you you mentioned one, you know, when we're the ones that speak up or, you know, we are passionate about something in particular, you know, we're seen 
a specific way. What are your thoughts on how false perceptions impact self-advocacy? Plain and simple, they keep people from speaking up. If I already know that if I say something, they're going to be like, here come Nicole, the loud, angry black woman. I'm, I'm not, probably not going to say anything or I'm going to just make these really, you know, hesitate. And I've, I have done that before because I'm like, I'm always the one that speaks up. Maybe this time I won't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you get, you know, get that, that slap on the wrist enough times. Oh, you're being too, too aggressive or you're being hostile. You're being, you know, you know, a little too excited about this or passionate, you know, it does kind of keep people from um, speaking up. And, and oftentimes what ends up happening, this is what ends up happening. You, you make the new person do it. So you tell the new person that just started like two weeks ago, you go, you speak up because we've always you know? been the one and we're known yeah. as the speaker upper. Like, yeah. Let the new person put themselves out there. And... <laughs> So just kind of an experience that um, I had. So I'm in human resources. In my role, I speak for both the organization and I speak for the employee. Um, At the same time, I have to be a very practical person because I am literally dealing with people's livelihoods, right? And liability that can impact people's livelihoods. Um, And just me in general, I take my job very seriously because I think I have a very important job. Um, But I found myself as the person that speaks up about things that folks shouldn't be doing because it's probably going to get us in some kind of trouble Um, or things that people, you know, should be doing so that we can, you know, as an organization, as individuals, as teams, perform at a higher level to bring the organization to a different space. And, um, And I talked about this I think in a previous episode, this idea of not being a nice person. So not so much so angry, but not nice, if you will. And I think in the context in which this has been said, it's folks want me to be agreeable. Yes. Right. That's what nice means. Be, be agreeable. So it's challenging and you talked about kind of like being the person that speaks up. So after a while, you're just kind of like, perhaps you should say these things because, you know, you're new. So maybe it'll be more palatable. And I had a conversation with someone about this whole concept of being nice and that meant being agreeable. And in most situations, I have to be the practical person. And when you want to just go off gallivanting, doing whatever you want to do, spend whatever you want to spend, you don't want someone telling you you can't do it. You also don't want a black woman telling you that you can't, (laughs) that you can't do it. So there's that kind of, there's, there's that piece of it that it's not palatable because of who's, who's speaking. And I was told by someone that, you know, I needed to speak up a little more, right? And I explained to them that one, because of the perception 
that people have of me as a black woman period, regardless of the fact that I actually have a PhD in my field. So I'm quite educated in, in my field, in my job, what I'm supposed to know for this job. Um, despite all of, all of that, um, it's me saying it, right? That's, that's the first part. And I also don't want to talk for the sake of talking because there's already this kind of notion that, and there are some people that, that I'm not qualified. So they're going to question any and everything that I say. So I'm just very careful that whenever I'm really a part of a conversation at all levels, that we're talking about things that are practical, we are strategic, you know, mm-hmm. in the conversation and that there's going to be value added and it's going to result in action. That's just the way that I operate. Right. And I was, I was told that I understand that, but when you don't speak up, you're not seen as, you know, when you're not a part of those conversations, you're not seen as an executive. Interesting. Right. And then my counter was, I'm not sure I understand what you say because ex-white man in every single meeting we have literally he and the person I was was like oh well yeah so-and-so you know really doesn't contribute strategically it's just very tactical and sometimes it's not even relevant so in my mind it's kind of like in order for me as a black woman to be seen as an executive I have to say something regardless of whether or not it's relevant or makes sense but this other person that doesn't look like me literally is seen more as an executive and they whatever they say literally has nothing literally and I'm sorry I'm venting right now but it was just kind of like that took me aback and it was just kind of like (laughs) but you know even just that perception so there's a perception of talking too much right or saying what he said and then also not saying anything um hold on um so I'm stuck yeah so how do I get unstuck <laughs> I don't know that, that that is one of those situations where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't you know, I've had a supervisor say to me, are you okay? Because sometimes I look at you and you have a, a look on your face. And I'm like, what is she talking about? Like, what? I, I, I didn't even ask what she meant. I was like, I'm fine. But like, there's all these weird nuances and weird things that happen in the workspace. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And what do you, like you said earlier, am I supposed to just be smiling all the time? Like, you know, walking around like this? Like, what is exactly? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. And, and that's, I think it's going to always be difficult for us how to sort of toe that line. You know, do I say this or if I say this, am I saying too much? Mm-hmm. Because you're, there's always going to be um, some sort of feedback. Oh, you're not speaking enough or, oh, you might, you know, you're talking too much. Um, 
It's, it's so weird. And then we're also on top of that, our own concern and worry about, am I talking too much? Am I not talking enough? Do they respect me? I don't know. You know, so there's, we get all of this language, this self-talk, and then we get also this, this information and feedback from our, our colleagues and our supervisors that, um, doesn't seem really seem to make sense. It's like, I, I don't understand. And so I honestly, I don't know how we navigate that except to have that, that sister circle, that group of colleagues that you can kind of vent to um, and bounce those ideas off of, because I don't know how you change um, those perceptions um, that are longstanding Mm -hmm. and have been here forever. It's such a difficult thing to figure out. And I have friends that have the, that are executives that are like yeah. vice president of companies, and they have that same have been told that same thing. You're a little too. You why aren't you smiling? And maybe no, they don't say it that way, but it kind of mm-hmm. means that why are you so you know straight faced? And it's like yeah. I'm at work. I'm <laughs> concentrating. <laughs> exactly. So I want to I want to go back to something you just said about the you know us having to have those sister circles. So. How do we create safe spaces both inside and outside of our workplaces to promote wellness for ourselves and to kind of buffer ourselves from those challenges and the negativity that we face in all of these spaces that we're in? So I was, like I said before, I was really, um, you know, lucky to have a group of colleagues in, in my workspace that I knew that I could talk to. And literally it's like, I, you know, a, a list of five or six people that if something goes down, I can hit that email out right away, or maybe not via email, not work email. Maybe we will get on the phone yeah. and do a text <laughs> yeah. message. That's, that's, that's very important to, to highlight, not the work email. Right. <laughs> Yes. Um, and really just kind of have a conversation or pick up the phone and have a conversation um, and just really bounce some of that stress off of each other because we all understand the office politics. We understand how the system w- works internally. And sometimes it's good to have that person or people to really have those kinds of moments like, oh my goodness, why is this taking so long for this project to get pushed forward? We've been working on it for a year. Yeah. Um, or why doesn't they don't, why don't they understand that this should be, we should talk to the black community in this way about this particular health issue um, and not this way or you know those types of things we can have those venting sessions mm-hmm. um, I think the external sister circle is also really important they don't need to know the office politics but oftentimes they can understand because they're going through the same thing in their work experience mm-hmm. and I've been blessed. I have five women. Um, again, two of them have their doctorate degrees and are doing a lot of great work. Some of them work in community-based organizations. And, you know, they don't necessarily understand what's going on in my workspace, but we can talk about things like one thing we did a couple of years ago. I said, I want to get to a certain level in my work, you know, life. I want to be uh, this thing. I had a, a specific position in mind. I don't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. They came to my house with poster board paper, uh, breakfast, mimosas, <laughs> and sat down with me and we strategized. I still have yeah. the paper in my in my desk. Okay, so you wanna be here. These are the things we think that you should get to and, and help me talk, you know, talk through that whole process. Mm-hmm. So they don't understand my job per se. I mean to some degree, yes, or the politics involved in my yeah. work. But were able to guide me and help me understand what my work looks like ten years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the benefit of the 
external sister circle and we have just been able to connect over the years through work it was really mm -hmm. weird i met them in some community level work that we were doing um in south la and i don't even remember when the line got crossed between you know we're working on this coalition together to like we're friends now and we talk about everything um but it has been amazing and a good way um to really have people who get it mm -hmm. help sort of help you figure out what to do next. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's extremely important. Um, I don't, well actually, I don't even wanna say that I don't have an external sister circle. Um, I have a really great group of um, friends that are very supportive. And they're actually a good, even though the numbers are small within my organization, um, there's, there's, there's a couple of us, um, that are able to really have those very deep conversations, um, and share our experiences. Um, and I think that has been one of the things that has kept me sane. Um, uh, most days is being able to have someone to just be like, girl, you will not believe <laughs> what just happened. Um, so no, thank you for that. And so I want to segue, um, into, and we talked about this a little bit, how we advocate for, um, each other, right? So, but more so once we've gotten to a place where we can speak up for ourselves, um, I think it's and help it's important for us to kind of help others along the way. The idea of you know reaching back as you climb. And I talk about this um a bit in in my book, the concept of being your sister's keeper. Um, so from your perspective, why is it important for us to look out for each other, specifically, you know, reaching, reaching back as we climb, once we've gotten to a certain place to kind of help the others coming up to say, hey, this is what the real deal is, and I want to help you. Yeah, I actually feel like it's my personal responsibility to do so, um, especially because other women have done it for me over the years and have made sure that I was okay. Um, going all the way back to the days when I was a student worker and I'm sitting with one of the epidemiologists, she was a black woman. I've never seen a black woman epidemiologist that worked with numbers until I met her. And she said to me, you need to go back to graduate school. You have your bachelor's degree, fabulous, great. You need to go to grad school. You will increase and double your salary. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's two more years of school, <laughs> this baby. I don't want to do this. Two years will pass anyway, is what she said to me. And she was right. Mm -hmm. And I still work with this woman today, 20 years later. Um, and so I feel like just as she gave me that tidbit of information and that little bit of guidance and all the other black women have done that for me, mm -hmm. it is my responsibility to do that. So it's not even about, well, you should do it because you, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's my responsibility because we have to make sure that we are at the table. As another person told me, if you're not at the table, you are on the menu. So mm -hmm. you have to be in those wow. seats. Wait, wait, wait. To God. 
If you are not at the table, if you don't have a seat at the table, then you're on the menu. But before you continue, break that break that down for us. So if you're not in the spaces to be able to guide a conversation or shape a conversation, baby, they sit at that table talking about you and what they and what's gonna happen to you. So you need to be at that seat at, at that table to say, this is how I think this should happen. Otherwise, girl, they they talking about how they gonna get rid of you <laughs> or how things are gonna happen. You're, you ain't yeah. lying. Right? So if you are not at the table, you are on the menu. Make sure you're not on that menu and make sure you're sitting at, the, at that table and saying, no, this is what needs to happen. And it could be specific to the black experience at work. Mm-hmm. It could be relative in my, in my case, I work in public health. It could be how we should be talking to the black community about a specific health issue. That's not how we talk. No, no, no. We're going to, we need to talk about it this way mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm black. I'm black. So, mm-hmm. and I live in that community. So mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you that this is how this should happen. Not the other way around or questions about funding. Mm-hmm. Who gets money? Well, guess what? There's a, something happening in South LA, for example, I could say, and they need increased funding for this thing. So if you're not at that table, mm-hmm. there will be decisions made about y'all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that you won't have any any say-so in. So that's why I feel like when students come to me, because I'm also an adjunct professor, black students come up to me or they, they're not sure about what they want to do in life, it's my responsibility to try to make sure to guide them in the right place. There is a woman in my office that works with me now. Um, and this is a, a good testament to what you're talking about. One of my colleagues said, hey, I have a friend. She wants to get, she wants to come work where you work. Can you help her with her application? Help her give her some tips. Mm-hmm. I said, absolutely. So I gave her some tips, whatever. And that was, I had, didn't hear anything else. You know, she thanked me, but I didn't yeah. hear anything else. Forgot about it. Fast forward, in my office, we have an opening. We have a vacancy. And so we're interviewing. And this black girl comes in, knocks that interview out the park. Do you know I forgot? She said, I thought you were doing it on purpose, Nicole. You forgot that you were the one that helped me with my application. I said, I, I'm so glad I forgot that was you because it, then that way I can say I was totally objective because yeah. I actually have forgotten yeah. that that was the same yeah. person. So I hired her. She, she got hired, worked there for years. I had moved on, promoted. I got to a place where I could hire and I called her. I said, you want to come and work with me? She was like, oh, she came over and she's working with me now. And I'm like, how can we now get you promoted? Mm-hmm. So it's my responsibility. I can't just be like, girl, well, you'll figure it out. No, I <laughs> yeah. can't do that to you. I can't. <laughs> I'm going to try to help you navigate because I don't be through it. I'm going to try to help you out. So I just feel like we all should feel like that is our responsibility. We shouldn't feel like, well, oh, well, girl, that's, she'll figure it out. No, yeah. no. Grab that woman by her hand, mm-hmm. take her to lunch, and have a real conversation about the real office politics. Don't let that woman sit there and flounder by herself in that office. <laughs> Don't do it. That happens all too often. Um, and I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly um, agree. And I think it's important more so because once we get there, we then become that example um, because there aren't very many of us to be examples and in 
And knowing what you didn't have and the impact that it had on you, it should be your responsibility to make sure that someone else isn't doesn't go through what you went through. And it's right. not necessarily about making it easier, but really showing that it is possible because you were able you were able to do it because there are far few examples. Um, so when you become the example, I think it's 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 the right thing to be the right example because we we know and you know if we suffered, why why would we want anyone else to suffer? Right, right. Um, and I think that has to be a shift for us, um, and that and that goes into my my next and almost final question. So, you know, we we're not a space where we can advocate for ourselves. We can advocate for our sisters, all yes. great things. Um, however, regardless of this, if we are not in a safe space or we're not able to create safe spaces for others, um, the work becomes almost impossible. What do you consider a safe space and how do we create them? So the safe space at work or the safe space at home? At work? Let's just focus on on work for now. But just, I will actually more so in, in general um, because where we grow up can be difficult you know our organizations can be difficult and space can be a physical space space can be uh, a mindset space space can be an emotional space if we're not in a safe space all of what we want to do just kind of can't happen. So how do we create first safe spaces for ourselves? And and you can focus on any of those contexts. Um, and then how do we be in the positions, and I'll just say being in the positions that you and I are in to help create safe spaces, how do you create a safe space for others? You know, this is, is such an interesting question because, you know, while you were talking, I was thinking to myself, is there is there a safe space anywhere anywhere for black women, anywhere. Yeah. Um, and there's a meme or a quote that I saw, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's something like when you exist in a society or a space that was not designed for you, simply existing is sort of like, you know, this, this, this place of sort of justice or like really trying to f- forge through. And so there's been so many in my, in my life, so many places that I have is, existed in that were not built and designed for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, being a plus size woman in a, in a world designed for straight sized people, um, going to a predominantly white institution where everything is, you know, all the people that are around are white and I'm here, I am this black girl from South Central that's pregnant, (laughs) trying to, Mm -hmm. trying to navigate through this Mm -hmm. space that was not designed in 1880. My school was, I think, built in 1880. They weren't thinking about black people coming through this space. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then so there's so many play, there's so many spaces that are not for us that even just to try to carve that space out is like just a moment of protest and like mm-hmm. this is what I'm going to do. Um, that headspace I think that you're talking about is is really a, a big one. If your mental space is not right, it's going to be hard to get out here into this world that again is not built for and designed for us. I um, mean, is intended to in, in, to be perfectly honest, push us down and oppress us. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, those sister circles, you, we, we got to start getting uh, getting out of being afraid of going to therapy and, and, and talking to people and talking to counselors and things and having someone to unload um, those very toxic things that we go through from day to day to get yeah. our mental together. Um, I'm also a big advocate of self-care. You may see my fingernails are all painted nice and pretty. That's my self-care strategy. Every Sunday, I literally sit down with nail polish and paint my nails. That is the only time where my mind is still because I can't move with wet polish. Yeah. I sit still until it dries. Yeah. So me, that is my only way during a crazy week to say, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to be creative. I'm going to exercise that side of my brain, turn on some music, light some incense, and just be, you know, still in, in one mm-hmm. space and time. So I think finding that self-care strategy that works for you, yoga, running, walking, whatever, it, cooking, um, can be very helpful in creating a safe space, at least in that mental, that mental head space mm-hmm. that is really, really very important. Um, other than that, I think also one of the things that I talk a lot about, even in my book, is about creating a, com- a community. Um, we often think our communities are already designed for us, well, our, our neighborhood, our streets, but we can create our own communities within, you know, sort of our own little corner of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, finding things that we are talented at that may have nothing to do with our work, right? The nail polish world for me could be one. I love fashion. So I've created a community where by I try to bring people together and do pop-up shops. Now that's something that's, you know, maybe above and beyond for a lot of people, but I literally open my backyard, allow black women vendors back there and they sell their clothes and, and whatever they have to the community. So I'm trying to build community just in my own backyard. So there's, there's a lot of different ways where you can sort of carve out this protective sort of circle around yourself, um, either through self care mm-hmm. or trying to build community around yourself. Like that's okay. I'm going to, I'm not going to deal with what's really happening outside. I have to deal with it, but I can also kind of carve something out for myself and I think that's really really very important especially for black women you spoke a lot of truth um and I thank you for that and before we leave I would like for you to tell us or leave us with what you would consider the three most important things that we need to do as black women to ensure that we have and take advantage of the resources we need to maintain our physical, mental, and emotional health. I think the first one kind of goes back to what we said in the very beginning about us being those martyrs. We put ourselves on the line. We're the ones, first ones to speak up for ourselves, for everybody else. We're looking out for everybody else. First one is to be selfish. 
uh, right now in, in, in a specific moment, this is about me and what I need to be healthy. And I can't worry about every, anybody else right now. And I think we need to have that attitude sometimes. And it's fine. Like, I can't help nobody else if I'm laid out in a hospital yeah. or, you know, otherwise compromised. So yeah. I think that first tip is to be selfish mm-hmm. um, because we have been so used to being so giving. So, you know, putting ourselves out there. Um, and I think it's okay. We need to be okay with being selfish. I think the second thing is, again, as I said a minute ago, we got to be okay with um, seeking other ways of taking care of our mental health. So I, I know for a long time, mental health has been tabooed. It probably still is to some degree. Mm-hmm. There are lots of counselors, social workers that are Black, Black women that will gladly sit and talk to you on a sliding scale. We were getting, it's getting much more accessible now to talk to someone about what you need. Some workspaces have their employee assistance program that offer those services as well. Um, so I think we got to get really serious about our mental well-being. And then the third one, your nails every Sunday, fine. If it's going for a walk with your dog or your kid or whoever um, a couple times a week, whatever it is that's going to give you that moment where you can be yourself, you can think, you know, kind of let all that stuff go and just think about the things that are important to you or that you care about, you got to do that as well. And I think those are the three most important things. Well, thank you so very much, Nicole. Um, I loved our conversation. I think you dropped so, so, so many gems. Um, Lots of things that I think I need to think about as well, because, you know, even just kind of talking about what needs to be done, I realize there's a lot of things that I am not doing. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we're, we're always, we're always much we always do better at giving. We, we're the worst at following our own advice. Um, so there's definitely, I think, some self-reflection that I need to do. I hope our listeners will do some self-reflection and kind of see where they are, see where they need to go, understand the importance of self-advocacy and taking care of ourselves. And part of advocating for ourselves is making sure you know, that we, we can recognize when we're not healthy and then doing the right things to get us to where we need to be. So before we close, if you can tell our listeners where to find you, where to find your book, how to stay connected, Yes. So my book is called Pushing Through, Finding the Light in Every Lesson, and it's available on Amazon. The Kindle version is available right now. And the Kindle version did go number one on Amazon in the healthcare delivery genre. And the paperback will be released on September 14th, but the pre-sale for the paperback is already up now. You can find me on Instagram at Nicole D. Vick. So that's first name, middle initial, last name. And I'm also on LinkedIn. And who knew? I guess I had all this time been lagging behind on the benefit of LinkedIn. LinkedIn is amazing. It so really I'm is. On LinkedIn. It really is. I'm on LinkedIn. Also, Nicole D. Vick. Awesome. Thank you so very much, Nicole, for joining us. Um, All of the information will be linked in the show notes so that I make sure people have all of the links, where to find you so that they can stay connected. And um, just so everyone knows, Nicole will be back for a future episode. And I am very much looking forward to that conversation as well. So I'm going to say thank you so very much, Nicole. This was 
awesome. I'm looking forward to our next conversation and um, just thank you for everything that you do for us, for your community, for um, Black women. Again, it's very important for us to reach back as we climb and when we are in positions to, uh, to create change that we take that very seriously and do everything that we need to do. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Small. I had such a good time. This was a good conversation. I mean, and if anything, if if anyone doesn't remember anything else, remember, if you're not at the table, you're you on the menu. The menu, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. It has been great sharing this space with you. I hope that you have taken what you've needed so you can share what you've learned and that you are on your way to living, being, and working in and on purpose. I encourage you to stay connected with me. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to visit my website, www.wajitasmall.com, where you can subscribe to my blog, register for one of my signature courses, inquire about individual coaching, or purchase one of my books. Till next time.